sit in that for a little bit. You know, God's not calling us to to do this thing. He's calling us to set ourselves, to position ourselves so that His Spirit within us can do it. That's the challenge of the Christian life. Not trying to do it yourself, but surrendering and inviting God to do it in and through you. And that's really the message that the Apostle Paul is trying to convey to the Corinthian church. Uh, This morning we're going to continue our body language series uh, where we're moving verse by verse through the book of 1 Corinthians, verse by verse through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church that he had founded in the city of Corinth in Greece. Last week we looked at chapter 1 where Paul set the stage, if you will, by by diagnosing the core problem in the Corinthian church. Does anybody remember or uh, remember from your small groups this week what Paul essentially says is the core problem in the Christian church and in the Corinthian church? It's a Freudian slip there. Selfishness. Absolutely. Selfishness. They were focused more on themselves than they were on the church as a whole and on one another. And he reminds them that the church doesn't function that way. That our body language should always lean into the cross and not the culture. Into the spirit and not into the self. And that as followers of Jesus, humility, humility is to be our defining virtue. A willingness to lay down our own pride our own preference, our own prerogative for the sake of one another. Easier said than done, isn't it? But that, my friends, is the crucible, if you will, of the Christian life. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where Jesus is seen in us or not. I read something profound this week along those lines that I want to share with you this morning. The author put it this way. He said, you have to work hard to offend Christians. By nature, Christians are the most forgiving, understanding, and thoughtful group of people I've ever dealt with. They never assume the worst. They appreciate the importance of having different perspectives. They're slow to anger. They're quick to forgive. And they almost never make rash judgments or act in anything less than a spirit of love. And then he says, no, wait, I'm thinking about golden retrievers. You know, we laugh at that characterization of Christians because Christians are so often labeled just the opposite, stereotyped just the opposite of that. And all stereotypes have a basis in what? Truth. We're often labeled as intolerant, divisive, easily offended, closed-minded, angry. Paul reminds the church in Corinth, and he reminds us here this morning that the world is watching 
how we do life. How we function together as the body of Christ. How we function on the job. How we function in the community around us. How we function around the ball field with other parents when our kids are playing. The world is watching. And if they don't see a dime's worth of difference in the way we do it and the way they do it, why would they be interested in what Jesus has to offer? Amen? As an example, Paul cites division. We talked about this last week. Division, quarreling, fighting, factioning in the Corinthian church. He had received word that they were squabbling over who the best preacher was. Fortunately, that doesn't happen in our culture today. They were lining up behind their favorite, their guy. And it was wrecking the unity of the church. If you'll remember in chapter 1, verse 12, 1 Corinthians, Paul says, What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas, who is Peter. Still another says, I follow Christ. He says, is Christ divided? What's this all about? He says, was I crucified for you? It's human nature to have preferences. We all have preferences. We all like different things. We're, we're all naturally drawn to different styles and to different people. But as Paul moves into chapter 2, which is where we're going today, put your finger there, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and chapter 3. He reminds the Corinthians and he reminds us that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are no longer directed and driven by human nature. It's no longer an excuse, if you will. What drives the world around us no longer rules and reigns within us. In Galatians 2.20, Paul put it this way. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. The old man has passed away. The human nature is dead in Christ. He said, I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. In this new life, This new man, the life I live in the body now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and did what? Gave himself for me. Laid his life down for me. And that's the life we're to emulate. In other words, we are defined and directed, Paul tells us, no longer by our sin and our selfishness, no longer by our human nature, but by the righteousness of Christ that now resides within us. By the Spirit of God that dwells in each of us. And he goes on to hammer out the difference between the world's way and the Spirit's way. And he challenges us when it comes to our body language as the church, as the body of Christ, to lean into the Spirit, to set ourselves and wait for the Spirit and lean away from self for the sake of unity 
so that others can see Christ in us. In chapter 2 and chapter 3, Paul draws this clear contrast between the Spirit's way and the world's way. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, When I came to you, brothers, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. He said, I really wasn't real slick. He said, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He said, I came to you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. That is comforting to me to hear Paul say that. He said, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Greece was the birthplace of philosophy. The word philosophy itself literally means philosophia, lover of wisdom. And where Paul was, he was at, at, at literally ground zero of the study and the love of wisdom. Athens, Corinth, Greece as a whole. It was out of Greece that Plato and, and Aristotle and Socrates rose. And so Paul is stepping into this world of giants when it comes to wisdom and the capacity to communicate to an audience that loves and studies the wisdom of this world. Talking about intimidating. And Paul says this, he says basically, hey, I can't hold a candle to the skill of those guys. But I can show you where true wisdom is found. I've got a degree in philosophy. Some of you may not know that. Um, but, but I have a, a degree in philosophy. And, and I can remember, it's a degree in philosophy and religion. It's a... It, it's a secular degree, my undergraduate degree. And, uh, and I was primarily heading into the religion aspect of it when uh, it was shortly after I'd given my life to Christ and I went back to school. And Kim can attest to this. Those years of studying philosophy were some of the most confusing, some of the darkest, honestly, years of my life. I was a young believer and it was so challenging just to hold on to my faith in the midst of all this so-called wisdom. Endless mental gymnastics leading to nothing absolute or definitive. It's the wisdom of men. I studied it for years. And what it leads to is the tendency... For us to put people on a pedestal, which is the world's way, which is what was going on in and around Corinth. The most talented, the most gifted, the most rhetorical. They were all lifted up in Corinth as the greatest philosophers 
And so the church was naturally doing what it had always done in the world, and that was lifting their favorites onto a pedestal. They were elevating the most eloquent, the most dynamic, the most entertaining. Isn't that what culture does today? That's why actors and athletes are idolized in our culture. And we listen to what they say even when they say things they know nothing about. It's the wisdom of the world on display. But unfortunately, we see it time and time again also in the church when people place more faith in the man than they do the message. I follow Apollos. I follow Paul. I follow Cephas. We see it when a pastor retires or leaves a church, and I've seen this for 25 years, (laughs) and half the church stops attending. Let me ask you something. What was that really about the entire time? The man or the message? Paul says, remember, church, men will come and go. It's the message that stands forever. It's the message that matters most. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, of Christ crucified for us. The one who laid his life down for us, for the forgiveness of sin, confirmed by the Spirit of God who resides within Why? So that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. There's some great preachers out there. There always have been. But be careful you don't put the man before the message. And then Paul draws this distinction between the two kinds of wisdom The wisdom of this world and the wisdom of God or the wisdom of the Spirit. Verse 6, he says, We do, however, the church, followers of Christ. He says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. But not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. In other words, it's not about the man, it's about the message. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom. A wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Some translations call this the mystery of God. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, it is written... No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. Paul goes on to tell us that this secret, this mystery of God is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
God's wisdom is revealed by the Spirit and is evidenced by humility. Do you want to know if you're being led by the Spirit? How willing are you to lay yourself down for the sake of others? That's the litmus test. It's a willingness to park our preferences and lay ourselves down for the sake of somebody else. For those who place their faith in Christ, the Spirit reveals the depth of God's love, is what Paul tells us. And it reveals to us the unconquerable hope that we have in Jesus. Christ in us. The hope of glory. And in verse 12, Paul says, We have not received the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. Do you understand what God has freely given you? The grace of God in Christ Jesus. The salvation that we do nothing to earn, but that is a gift to us. The forgiveness that we find at the cross where Christ laid Himself down on our behalf, received upon Himself the sin of the world, your sin, my sin, that we might be forgiven and restored to the Father. Paul is saying that is revealed, not by the world's wisdom. That which which has freely been given to you by God is revealed by the Spirit and the Spirit alone. When the scales fell from Paul's eyes after his encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road, he was blind for a while and then something like scales, Luke tells us, fell from his eyes. It was at that point that he understood what God had freely given him. The Spirit revealed it to him. Let me ask you something this morning. Have the scales fallen from your eyes? Do you know, have you embraced what God is freely offering you in Christ Jesus? Salvation. A clean slate. A new life. Forgiveness embraced and accepted by God the Father, your Creator. When Paul got a hold of that, and he stopped working for God, and he started walking with God. He set the wisdom of the world aside, and he embraced the wisdom of the Spirit. Have you done that? Have you done that? Jesus talks about the narrow way. Jacob walked us through some of that in a message a couple weeks ago. That's the narrow way. When we're willing to step away from the wide path of the world's wisdom and embrace the wisdom of God and be Willing to lay ourselves down in humility. It's the crucible of the Christian life. But the only way we truly find life. 
For Paul, that meant laying down everything that he had taken pride in in his entire life up to that point. Think about that. His pedigree, his profession, his position as a Pharisee, his power, everything. He laid himself down for the sake of the gospel that others might see what God had freely given them. That's what he dedicated his life to. Paul experienced the power of humility. And he's challenging the Corinthians here to do the same thing. To lean away from the wisdom of this world and to lean into the wisdom of God. Let me ask you something this morning. Which way are you leaning? It's a strong pull, the culture around us, the world around us. It's a wide road. And if you're not sure which way you're leaning this morning, James kind of gives us a key indicator in chapter 3, verse 13. James says this. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life. By deeds done in the humility that comes with wisdom. In other words, God's wisdom is revealed by the Spirit and it's evidenced in humility. Paul's prescription for the ills in the Corinthian church, any church for that matter, humility. Humility, laying down our preferences and leaning into the Spirit of God for the sake of others. Where do you need to do that this morning? It's not just in the church. It's in absolutely every relationship and every context that we find ourselves in in this life. Where do you need to do that this morning? Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe you need to lay your way down. Set your preference aside. Maybe it's on the job. We hesitate to lay ourselves down because we're afraid we'll lose control. We're afraid that somebody will get an edge on us, that somebody will take advantage of us because that is the way of the world. The wisdom of the world. We hesitate to lay ourselves down, to hold ourselves beneath someone else, to let someone have their way and to release our way. We demand and we hold our ground and we don't give an inch. But God's wisdom turns that wisdom on its heels. Verse 14, Paul says this. He says, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. And he can't understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Humility comes from the Spirit. 
And the world does not understand it. But humility is the place of God's power. It's the paradox, the kingdom paradox of losing your life in order to find it. Laying it down that it might be raised again. Humility is the defining virtue of Jesus Christ. And it is the chief virtue that we are called to as his followers. I love the way C.S. Lewis put it. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And we're afraid we're going to be doormats. What are you talking about? Feel it work? They'll run all over me. They'll chew me up and spit me out if I show weakness in any way, form, or fashion. But God's wisdom turns that upside down. He tells us that His strength is found in our what? In our weakness. It doesn't make sense to the world. Humility literally means power under control. Not being a doormat. Because it is the power of God within us that calls us to lay ourselves down just as Christ did for the sake of others. And we will be exalted with Him. Humility is the crucible of the Christian life. It's the place where pride and preference go to die. Where His will, not ours, prevails. It's the press of Gethsemane. And so after setting this contrast between the world's wisdom and God's wisdom, Paul tells the Corinthians kind of where they stand in that mix. I'm going to invite Gary and the, the band to come back to the stage as I, as I read this. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3. Paul says this to the church in Corinth. He says, Brother, I, Brothers, I couldn't address you as spiritual, but as worldly. He says, You're mere infants in Christ. He said, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly, for there is jealousy and quarreling among you. Are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and the other says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but it was God that made it grow. And so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters, they have one purpose. And each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. In other words, we're in this thing together. In Christ. And he says, you are God's field. You are God's building.
The final point I want to leave you with this morning is this. Spiritual maturity is measured by humility. Period. It's not measured by knowledge. It's not measured by the position you have in the church. It's not measured by power in any way. You can know the Bible inside and out and be one of the proudest people on earth. I've seen it time and time again. Spiritual maturity is measured by humility. And that's what Paul's telling the Corinthians. And that's what he's calling us to reflect on this morning. The willingness to set ourselves aside, not have our will, our way, our preference, our prerogative every time for the sake of others. For the sake of unity in the body of Christ. The willingness to become fools for Christ even on the job because the world doesn't get it. They're not going to understand why we do what we do. But to those whom God chooses to reveal, they will see Christ in us. The hope of glory. And they will understand what has been freely given to them. Some of us this morning, man, we just need to repent. <laughs> we just need to acknowledge to God right here and right now. And God, my life's just kind of all about me. I'm number one. It's about what I want. It's about what I need. It's about what I can get. been leaning into the world's way and we all do to varying degrees but God right now this day this morning I just lay that down I can't do it in and of myself it's it's like a vortex Lord that just pulls me into having to respond and react the same way the world does God show me how to lay myself down in the midst of all this and how to be a light for Christ. Some of you here today, you, you may have never given your life to Christ. You, you, you may have never understood what has freely been given to you by God in Christ Jesus. And the opportunity is before you. Not to do anything but just to receive the gift of forgiveness, of reconciliation to your Creator that is offered in Christ through His death, burial, and resurrection. That Christ and Christ alone, Jesus died for the forgiveness of your sin. He took your sin upon Himself that you might live that you might rise again out of your own sin and selfishness to be led by the Spirit. That's so I encourage you today, if you've never 
receive what God is freely offering you in Christ. Man, let today be the day. It's the greatest gift humanity has ever seen. Give your life to Christ. And if you're a Christian here this morning, give your life fully to Christ. Lay it down. Spiritual maturity is measured by humility. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the message of Christ and Him crucified. We thank you for the power we find in the cross, in humility. That same resurrection power we're told, Father, that raised Christ from the dead also lives within us. And I pray this morning that we would appropriate that power in such a way that we would be willing to serve. That we would be willing to lay ourselves down for the sake of others. Reveal to us, Father, in our hearts in this moment as we close this service and as we sing about your Holy Spirit. Reveal, Father, where we need to do just that. Humble ourselves and find the power that only the Spirit provides. I pray that prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.